a little bit of recap of last week and ask a couple questions um, to see where we were, or excuse me, what we were looking at and where we're going into this week. For those of you that were not here, we'll go over just a recap in just a minute, just a moment as we, as we walk through that. But I did want to ask if anybody had any questions from last week, um, any pressing questions that, that we could answer before we get started. They have to take less than two minutes to answer. Um, what is your name? Oh, very good. I did that last week, so you'll have to listen. Well, I, I can't do I know, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I, my name is Matt Jones, um, and I've been coming, my wife and I and four children have been coming for almost four years now to New Community Church. So happy to be here, for sure. I think we were in uh, Discovering NCC together. Yeah, but they took you the first time. They told me I couldn't come. I had to go back. I had to do it twice, which was so bad, but good for you. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's funny. As soon as you join, they're like, so what are you going to do now? Where are you going to work in the church? Which is great. Really is wonderful. Any questions from last week? If you're the last one here, you do have to hold the microphone, sir. So it's like you say. Okay, good. So that means we covered everything on forgiveness. Had no issues at all. I'm super excited that. Uh, well, not, yeah, that's exactly right. That's lawyer talk. Nothing I can answer in two minutes, right? That's good. I like it. So we touched just a little bit on forgiveness, and so a brief understanding of, of the class and actually what it is that we're going through. But it is through Arthur Pink's discussion or his. Um, I have it, there it is, right there. Book, The Seven Sayings of the Savior on the Cross, so this piece. So we are combining uh, seven weeks into six, and so we're, next week we're going to join two together on affection and anguish together. But of the seven sayings that Christ says on the cross, the very first one is the word of forgiveness, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we touched on that just a little bit last week. All of the notes are in the app, so they're on there as well. I do not have this week in there yet. I failed to do that, so I do. Obviously, they're done because they're in your hand, but I'll put those on there as well, um, as well as the PowerPoint. And so what we do is we walk through this book, and underneath each chapter are seven subchapters or subcategories that are in there. And we take a couple of those dig into them a little bit, and then have a discussion uh, about that. So that's, that's what we've been doing. So that's the basis of the class. That's what we're doing this week, what we'll do for the next five weeks, next four weeks after this as well. So let's just recap real quick and look uh, what we discussed last week. So six lessons that we pulled from this um, is that we see that Jesus was in prayer to God for him to forgive them for the enormity of their crime, right? So he said, Father, forgive them talking about the people, the things that were going on currently to him. And then we see that Christ never regarded any as beyond the reach of prayer. We see the aforementioned lesson that this was prophetic as we look back to Isaiah 53, and we read that portion of it, what was going on during that time. And then the blindness of the human heart. We see man's great and primary need. And then we see the triumph of redeeming love, which is Christ praying for his foes first, and then himself second, which I always thought was beautiful in Scripture. Pray for other people before I pray for myself, right? Give me the strength before I enter into this conversation. No, Father, have your way with this conversation. And out of that, give me strength that I can tell other people about why it is that I believe what I believe. So we could spend, truthfully, we could spend all day on Sunday talking about, especially what we're about to talk about in salvation, right? So... Uh, and forgiveness. We, we, we wouldn't have covered everything. We didn't cover everything that's in there. It was not exhaustive. It wasn't. It's meant to bring out light, right? Bring out things that maybe we haven't seen before so that as you leave here or when you leave here, you can tell other people about what it is that you believe. Again, it's not exhaustive, but maybe you haven't, you haven't seen it like this before. It's in a new light. And so we want you to be able to take this and not just hold it for yourself, but to tell other people about it. The main goal, one of the main goals that we, that we have in our lives is to tell other people about Jesus. Plain and simple. It's not hard. And in a second, we'll discuss a little bit, um, not uh, how do we do this, but we'll ask a lot of questions. And last week, we were a little Matt talking heavy, which um, this is why my wife's not here this week. She, uh, she said, you talk too much at home and here, so I'm not coming. Um, 
And so we're still married, which is great. But she was in nursery this morning, so she thought Rich's sermon was deeper than this. So uh, she thought that would be good. But uh, so we're just prayer for us, if you would. That'd be great. So, um, but I, I want to talk just for a little bit and ask a couple of questions that, uh, that we have. I don't have them up on the screen as far as the, the questions that are here, um, except for if I knew exactly what was on my slides, I would know that. But just a couple things as we roll through, just three questions. And, and anybody answer, right? So what, when you look and when you hear about the word of salvation or what salvation is, and we'll discuss in a second, but what personal barriers do you have in sharing your faith? What hesitation awaits you when you speak with somebody about your faith? And then really, where were you personally when you were saved by grace? And not, not, not in the room or the surrounding, but where were you in your life? What did that look like? So anybody, other questions here that you see in front of you? Yeah. Yeah. And I understand the gospel. I communicate it frequently with anyone, anywhere, anytime. But at the same time, I always remember that in God's sovereignty, that He even doesn't need me. Yeah. He, he, he saved me when no one was there and I was desperate and I picked up a Bible. That was God alone. Mm -hmm. So if I'm willing to submit and do it his way and trust him, he may use me as a vessel in his plan for salvation, but it will be done no matter what. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Okay, so I'll, I'll be a little direct. None of you have barriers at all. <laughs> when, when you're talking with, yeah, Kimmy. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a lot of barriers, but a big one for me is I just don't like awkwardness. Uh -huh. I don't like awkward silence. I talk too much, so this is, you're, this is a great class for me. <laughs> yeah. is, there's no, not a lot of silence in this class, so I don't like in the classroom roles with those times, especially with like they unfair a little bit, and then it's awkward. You know, they don't want to respond because they think it's weird and. They don't want to carry on the conversation, and then I'm like, okay, let's go, boy, let's go. Yeah. So I just don't like awkwardness. Yeah. I feel like it can get really awkward really fast. Yeah. That's just being honest. Yeah, no, it's good. I feel like um, the like hesitation awaits you. Sure. I feel like I'm just going to mess it up. Uh huh. Absolutely, Luther. Yeah, so there's obviously there's the fear of repercussions, right? Right. So, like in the business world, for example, I mean, you know, I've tried um, multiple times that our corporate, and I feel like our, our company's, you know, not not way out there in terms of being moderate, and it was originally founded by a bunch of really good Christian men. Most things have changed, and obviously they're pressured by. You know, the outside legal system, right? So even trying to start just, um, you know, kind of a, a Bible study, you know, and, and we all work remote, so it's like, okay, well, you know, can we do some things online, share some prayer requests? Right. And, you know, like HR was just like, no. Yeah. You know, first, you know, first of all, it's like, okay, how do you go to college? Well, what if someone's not included? Well, what if you do include them? <laughs> yeah. So then, well, are you going to use, you know, for example, are you going to use team software? Well, that's owned by us, right? Yeah. So you can't do that. you got to find your own software. Really? <laughs> I know you don't work at the YMCA, but that, <laughs> that sounds exactly what I go through when, you know, when I, when I have uh, questions or we discussed last week, we started a prayer group at the Y uh, and there's a lot of hoops to jump through, right? Making presentations before the diversity and inclusion group. And so we made a flyer. I don't think I've ever told you about the flyer for the National Day of Prayer uh, where we met at the Emerson YMCA, which I've never been in a room with more Baptists unless I was in a Baptist church until you go to the Emerson Family YMCA. The culture in Emerson or in Ferguson is very Southern Baptist, very much. And uh, I had no idea. I walked in and it was, it was like my dad was preaching. So uh, it just felt really, really good. But I made this flyer and I said, hey, this is, I would like to spread this out to the entire association, just say, hey, it's a National Day of Prayer, we're going to gather at the Emerson Family Y, 
And that's what it said. And, and it had a, a, a hands on the front of it praying like this. And, um, and so they said, so here's the deal. <laughs> okay. That, that it's not inclusive enough. And I said, okay, I don't agree. And we're not going to change it. Right? We're going to leave it as it is. So if you want to come, come. If you don't, stay home. Right? Just like the email, delete it if you don't want it. But there are barriers, and they do exist. Sometimes they're physical barriers, or sometimes they're at work barriers. Sometimes they're in your own life barriers. Can I, am I willing, am I good enough? Do I have the words to say? And the answer is, is when you preach Christ, when you preach Christ and Him crucified, you are not wrong. And the reception of this, and when people hear it sometimes, may not be favorable to you in the conversation. It may not look, it may not look and it may not feel like it's working. And sometimes that is the case. It just, I, I don't know what's going on. And I prayed for my brother for so long. Like I prayed for him for so long and still he was in the depths of it. Deep, not wanting anything to do with this at all. And then, oh my gosh, out of nowhere right? He's like, dude, I'm moving to Florida. I can't take it anymore. I, I can't do this anymore. I've got, I know that I know what I'm doing is wrong. And so we were, we were having a conversation, my dad and I, on the computer a while back. They live in North Florida. And, uh, and so my, my dad and I, on the exact same day, that didn't mean to, we both purchased a firearm at the exact same time. So as men, we're arguing of whose is better. And, uh, and my brother walks by in the camera and he's like, I've got my sword right here. And it was the Bible. And he walked by and I was like, dad, what's wrong with him? He's like, listen, son, when God got a hold of him, there was nothing, nothing going to stop him from telling other people about Jesus. Like even you, and he knows you love Jesus, but he is not going to stop. And so it is at times can feel very full of barriers. And sometimes the hesitation is, is inside of you. Is this going to be good enough? So we preach Christ, and we preach Him crucified. And it's not about winning. It's about watching. It's about watching what He does and the work that He does. And so I find that personally gratifying to see this. I do a lot of leadership work at the Y. My main job is fundraising. So that's, I drive all over the place. I meet with people. I eat a lot of really good food, so I'm not upset by that at all. But I sit in front of people a lot and we have conversations. And sometimes it takes a very long time for you to get money from somebody. It really does. It takes a long time. It's, it's you're courting them. It's over and over. It's nonstop. And it can't be any different as you're preaching Christ. It can't be. It is incessant. It should be on you at all times. You should be talking about it. People should look at you and be like, hey, this gal is different. They are not the same. And so... The personal aspect of it, you, your side, has to be removed from that. Open the Bible, talk to other people about it, care not what they say, and use it for moving forward. Right? I, I've got a story which I don't want to say yet because I don't really follow these, which is great. It's really bad. I even color-coded them. And uh, I, I have written on here, speak here, um, which is great. Uh, I even got a spot that says, that's circled, and apparently that's important. But with that said, we stay in Scripture. We don't move away from it. We have to stay within it. When you get outside of it and you start putting personal experience that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus... You do exactly what our pastor was just talking about not too long ago. It is a dangerous place to be, and it will separate people. And that's not what it's about. It is about unity. And so we're going to walk through this, and we're talking today about the word of salvation. But really, anybody else that has anything? I love your story. The, the personal aspect of the story is, is what grabs. So people will argue about Christ. They'll argue about Scripture, but they cannot argue about your personal experience and what happened to you. But you know, just to put a bow on that, my point was, there are all kinds of fears that we have that have been expressed, and we all struggle to make that connection sometimes. But if we give somebody a Bible, when you have the book of John and the rack up there, mm -hmm. God will use that. Yep. Even just putting it in their hands and say, it's a personal gift that's yeah. been a lot to me. Yep. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for the day. 
We thank you for these men and women that are here today to come and to hear your word spoken, to be read, and to learn from one another. And I pray that as you move us forward and take us here from today, that you put us in the lives of people that don't know you, and that you would shine through us, through the words that you have given us, and ultimately have us point back to you for the glory. Father, we thank you for this church, not only what it means to the people that are here, but what it means to this community and what it will mean in the future. We thank you so much for your guidance and the way that you show it in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to begin with, we're going to look at Luke 23, 42 through 43, and it says this, And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly that I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So I don't believe it's an accident, right? And obviously, because it's written in Scripture, that Jesus hung between two thieves, criminals. It wasn't an accident. But what we're going to see today is a picture of divine mercy and justice at the exact same time. And so you say, well, if that's all that we're talking about today, why the conversation earlier about where we were personally and what fears do we have? Because if you understand where you were at one time and where other people are that are separated from Christ, it will enable you to be understanding of the situation and to be able to conversate with them about it. This is not better than you. I know more than you about this, but it's more of a, I know where you were at. I was there as well. Some of you were saved at an early age. I remember the conversation uh, that my dad had with my brother. We were in Valrico, Florida. He was a, a associate pastor there. And uh, it was on a Wednesday night. And so this church had the old wood paneling, right, everywhere, purple pews. Uh, I remember it. I remember being baptized in that church. I also remember the conversation that my dad had with my brother one time. My, my brother was crying. He was weeping. And, uh, and they went into a room and they were, they were discussing. And he came out and said he looked different than what he was before. And he was, he was sobbing as he went in. When he came out, he had this joy on his face. And so I looked at my dad and I said, whatever he has, I want. And it, it sunk in for me. That conversation on that day sunk in for me. But God didn't fully have, la have landed. This is my son, Landon. Didn't fully have Mike then at that time. It was not fully revealed to him exactly what was going on. I remember the conversation. I remember the day. November 11th of 1989. I remember it. And I remember it well. And I, I used that story because at that time, Mike was separated by Christ. And now he is not. And so we pray over and over that God would reveal himself, not only to our family members, but to other people as well. So I don't believe that it was an accident, right, that God, that Jesus Christ hung between two thieves at any time. Because the, they had similarities between, look, look at what the scripture says even earlier on, Matthew 27, 44 says, both of these men were casting the same from their teeth. They were yelling, screaming, cursing at the man. If you're a king, get down right? If you're the king, if you are, but they were denying Jesus as Savior. So why, why do you see, why is it important that Christ hung between two thieves? Just from a quick picture, right? Because you know what the, the, the crosses look like. There's three of them. One was taller than the other, and the other ones were down here. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but why do you think? Why do you see? What do you see in Scripture that pulls out why Christ hung between two people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Anybody else? It's a good point, Charlie. You can come up here and teach us if you want. Because that's where we're at, right? <laughs> if you want to know, Charlie will tell you. He'll tell you exactly how he feels, which I have always thanked him for that, which I, I needed in my life. Let's look at the men real quick. And both of them denying Jesus. We just said casting the same from their teeth. And then the question that I ask is, what do you see as the reason that hung between the two thieves? And we'll dive into it just a little bit. Remember, there were 
At one point, the picture of the cross, there was a man who was denying Jesus. There was another man who was denying Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something changed. They saw him in a different light. And so the question that we want to ask, and really the, the dive into of what we want to do, is look at the four reasons as to why, right? Four reasons as to why Christ was hung between two thieves. And that, not only that, but to look at the cross as a picture and what that actually meant as well. But there was no other death. Obviously, number one, we're going to say that, that the cross, that the reason for this is to show that this was the worst death. The cross itself was the worst death. It was gruesome. It was brutal. And if you look at what Wikipedia says, which I always enjoy, sometimes it's beautiful and sometimes it's not, but this, this picture actually I highlighted and saved says that crucifixion was intended to be a gruesome spectacle, meaning people watched. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't gone behind the mountain. It was on top of it. And, 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 and people saw this. This was the most painful and humiliating death imaginable. It was used to punish slaves, pirates, and enemies of the state, which this man was none of. He was none of those. The two other ones, which we'll talk about in just a second, they were. But number two here, not only was it the, the worst death, but to show the position that he occupied here, that he was our substitute. This position that he was there for should have been you. It should have been you. He took the place of you. He took sin upon himself and displayed it for people to see. So one, we see that this was the worst death and then that position that he occupied. Number three, to show that he, as scripture says, was despised and rejected, Isaiah 53, 3. That he, he took this death, this, this deep, heavy burden upon himself where he had done nothing wrong. Remember hours before, sweating blood because of what was to come. And he took it upon himself because in this picture, he was despised and rejected by men. They say it multiple times. So another reason, because he was despised and rejected. And then number four, this piece of it here always gets me, a concrete and vivid representation of the drama of salvation and man's response. This piece of it is the Savior's redemption, right? So you see this, that the sinner repenting and believing, one of them, and then the other one reviling and rejecting. You have two men at one point were doing something, casting the same out of their teeth, just brutal, over and over, what is going on? And these six hours that we see here, and then the Savior's redemption. So he says, Father, remember me. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Something changed in this man. Something happened. One repented and believed, and the other one reviled and rejected at the exact same time. So not the only reasons, right, that Christ was hung between two men, but a, a, a picture of what that looked like, a picture of you and me. We, we at one point, were casting the same thing with Christ, to Christ. I don't want anything to do with you. Nothing. I have talked with multiple people in multiple different areas that that is not for me because they know that when Christ, and maybe they don't know, but I know for a fact that when Christ gets a hold of somebody, he doesn't let them go. And so I will change you. You will not be the same person. And you have to remember that having conversations with individuals is that sometimes it is a slow roll, folks. It really is. It's not always overnight. It's not always instantaneous that you actually see. But when, emphatically, when it happens, there is no mistake. It is very clear. And it is very moving forward. And what that, and what that looks like is just more right here, right? And we see this, this piece of it. So... Um, so let's, let's compare the two men that we see right here. So lesson two would be is that one received and rejected, but a, a beauty and clarity of the sovereignty of God. Beauty, beauty and clarity of what this actually means and what we actually saw. Remember, I want you to think of this as we're moving forward here of when I have conversations with people, with, with individuals, with family members, understanding that God is in control, but your goal, your job is to not stop. It is to pray for one another. It is to pray continuously and not stop. The sovereignty of God is the fact that he is Lord over creation. He exercises his rule. The rule is exercised through his authority as king, his control over all things, and his presence with his people throughout his creation. His, his, his. None of it is yours. Zero. 
This world, I know some of you, this is not about you. This is not. This is about God and his glory, and he gets it. He gets it, he's getting it, he got it. It's going to continue to happen. And here we see this picture, the two men in comparison, and I thought this, this, is, just, this is just beautiful as it's brought out of who they are, why they were there, and then the difference between the two now. So let's compare both of them. Both of them were what? Equally near to Christ. They were right there with him, equally near to him. Both heard all that was said during that time in those six hours. They both heard everything. They were both suffering. They were both dying. And both were in desperate need of forgiveness. Both of them, right? There was no separation between the two. They, they both needed everything. Man's great and primary need is to be rescued by the one and only king. That's their need. And so you see this picture here of these men and the comparison between the two. But now you have to look at their response to seeing a dying man who had done nothing wrong. And that's this piece of it. I can go back and, and trust me, these will be uh, on the app later today. Or Alex will never let me speak again. So. Um, one, one died as he lived, hardened and unremorseful. The other believed, called to Christ for mercy. Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. And this happens today. It, 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 it happens to one the gospel is revealed and the other it is hidden. Some people see it and some people don't. And, and then there have been times in conversations I have looked uh, at multiple. I used to go door to door when I was in college ministry which was always extremely nerve-wracking, right? You knock on the door. You don't know what's behind the door, number one, right? You knock, and you're like, hey, I would like to tell you about Jesus. And nine times out of ten, they're like, get away from me. I don't want to have a conversation with you about this. But when you see this, one, the gospel is, is, is hidden. The other one, it is revealed, right? It is your job to step into conversations like that and talk with other people as discomforting and, and difficult as it may be it's not always easy. It really isn't. But your goal, understanding where men and women are at, is to do exactly what Christ calls us to do. They were equally near. Both were dying. One died as he lived, didn't want anything to do with Christ, and the other called on Christ for mercy and went to paradise later on. Under the exact same circumstances, truthfully, under the exact same circumstances, we see that today in church. You could be sitting next to somebody in the 9 a.m. service that most of you went to. And it could change your life forever, everything you heard, and it not move that soul next to you. And you, you say, why, God? Why, God? And, and do you ever think that he ever gets aggravated with the questions that you ask? Why are you doing this? Why? So I will do this when I am ready. And I am Christ. I am God. I will reveal this when I am ready. And that is hard for me. Like, truthfully, sometimes that is very, very difficult. Because, give me to your point, right? You have that piece of it. You want to talk. You don't want to say the wrong thing. But when you open your mouth and you talk about Jesus and what he's done and the evidence in Scripture that we see here, you are not wrong. Under the exact same sermon, some people are moved and some are not. That is a fact. That is a picture of the sovereignty of God. To one, the gospel is revealed and the other is hidden. So we ask that question again is why? This is in red, so that means I'm asking you, right? So why? Why do you see that? And what other, picture, what other pieces of Scripture have you seen that we can pull out, that we can write down here for us to help understand why it is that not everybody immediately comes to the saving grace of Jesus? Are you asking for... Yes, ma'am. Okay. I just have lived an amazing experience in my family. My 90-year-old brother, who we've been praying for for eons, <coughs> Um, came to the Lord a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And his comment after he accepted the Lord and the Savior was, I've been thinking about doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. So my comment to your question mm -hmm. is, we don't know just because there isn't a physical response right. or a verbal response that that person has not been moved. And so that is just a perfect example. Yep. We don't know. And um, four months later, the son, who was the only believer in that particular family, his dad, my brother, mm -hmm. passed away 
as he walked through the house, dropped over dead, hmm. 64 years old. But he was able, and he would say, Auntie, and you think you'll ever, I'll ever see Dad? Say, and said, I sure. He said, I know mm -hmm. I will see him say. And so we don't know, you know, I, I, we, we don't know an, even an answer to you. Sure, right, absolutely, right, yeah. I ask a lot of rhetorical questions, too, so that's it. You know, we, <laughs> absolutely. We, we, we have loss of a person, but the joy of it. he's with his Jesus. Yeah. And we also know he got to see his dad break that barrier. Right. How long did you pray for your brother? I, I can remember 60 years ago going to the altar and praying for my mm -hmm. brother. Uh, my dad was a strong Christian man, lived the example before all of us. My brother was extremely wealthy, extremely confident of uh -huh. himself, had no need. Um, and that was his comment, you know. Um, I'm good, right? You yeah. Know, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, well, and I think the problems with some of that is we present coming to the Lord as something that's going to give you something. Mm -hmm. and, and it's 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 the receiving of life, but it's not giving you something or mm -hmm. providing for you something. And he didn't need any something. He already had all the somethings. Yeah. And, and uh, so what we miss is really reaching their soul and their spirit rather mm -hmm. than their pocketbook or their new car yeah. or their baby they're waiting for or something yeah. else that we missed that. Yep. Yeah, my grandmother uh, was never, never faltered in her prayer for her husband and for her grandson, Mike, and, and all of her grand, grandchildren as well. But um, it was when he came to Florida, when, when they moved, and uh, I told them to listen to this. I don't know that he's going to want to do that after I get done talking about him the whole time. So, but um, I remember uh, that when he moved there, it was shortly thereafter that he moved that my grandmother said, Michael, you're doing everything backwards. You have children before marriage. You had this, you had this, you had this, and you still keep denying Jesus as your Savior. She's 94. She'll be 94 in May. She wins. I don't care. Like, like the conversation, that woman, she does not care because she cares so much. And that right? was pretty much the way Young Brooks was with his yeah. dad, Brooks. And it was until that, that time when uh, they were coming back from the Lake of the Ozarks and Young Brooks was witnessing to his dad, and his dad said, you know, if we're going to have this conversation for the rest of the drive, you can get up. Mm. Yeah. And young folks said, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and dad is dad. Yeah. I, I know that statement as well. That's right. That is the truth. So what does this do to your approach when you speak to other people who don't know Jesus? What should this do? Right? So the question, I'll, I'll recap real quick what we talked about is that, that some, some receive it and some don't. So what does that do to when you have conversations with other people? Right, knowing that not all the time do men and women receive him immediately. What does that do to your, your witness, to your walk? Real simple. Yeah. At least I think it is. We're not worried about the results. We're told to say the word. Right. We're told to put it out there, put it in your hands. Mm -hmm. He does it from there. That's right. Yeah. So this is a trick question, by the way. Uh, it should do nothing except know that God is in control and that you should not falter in preaching the gospel. Because if it's so important to you, did you have a question? Yeah. Yeah, before I get on a roll, please, that's great. I mean that, true. Well, I mean, do you, I mean, like, an unsaved adult child? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's very emphatic when she speaks, that is for sure. Um, but yeah, no, you, you, don't, you don't stop. It's never quitting. You know, what I believe truthfully is that, uh, we said this last week too, is that there's a time, I believe that there's a time when you stand on the rooftop and you start screaming, I believe because of this. But a lot of times, you meet with people where they're at. You go to them. And you speak and you find common ground with those individuals and understanding, like, I know, I hear you. I do. 
but I'm going to keep talking to you about this because it's that important to me. Not only is it not, I, it, it, this isn't for a, a, a mark on the crown when I get to heaven. This is because I believe this is what God has called me to do. Not only did he save me from a wicked covering over the pit of hell, but he told me, now go tell other people about this. Go tell other people. And it is difficult when it's with your family. It is. Because you do care so much. And you do want to say the right thing. But when you open scripture and you read for it word for word, and you tell them that this is the reason, Acts 16.31 says what? Anybody? Did you say you're not that good, right? <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts 16.31, it is your job not to make them believe. It's not, because a lot of times when you speak, you mess up. You do. But when you open Scripture and you read it word for word, you can't mess up. You can't, if you believe it. And the problem is with Scripture, even if you don't believe it, it still stands true, right? It is there. It is for us to read. It is for other people to learn about. But yes, to answer the question, we don't stop. We can't stop. We can't. And it is difficult. It is. Yes, sir. I was just going to say our job when it comes to evangelism is to faithfully proclaim the gospel. It is God's job for success. Yes. My job, faithfulness, his job for success. Mm. So I, I can't let myself get discouraged, you know, with right. a loved one, a friend over the years, and, and, and stop throwing the seeds Yeah. because of the discouragement. I have to keep throwing the, the seeds. Mm -hmm. I had a, a brother, too came to know Christ at the age of 69, mm. about a month before he died of cancer. We were praying for him for years. Yeah. So I, I keep throwing the seeds and leave it in the hands of God. This is the truth. Anybody else? I just want to say, and the interesting thing is this, watch this man. He's hungry. He's hungry. He wants to make sure he, wants to make sure he didn't do it wrong. Yeah. And I think that's almost cute. Yeah. You know, it's like... You're speaking of the thief. The, the other man, is that what you mean? No, my, my brother. Your, your brother, right, yeah. Yeah, my brother. Same thing. You know, right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's you're right. Just, it was, it, it's, just, it's almost where the bunch of family are kind of like almost giddy over this. Yeah, you know, like, no, absolutely. Isn't this like, yeah. I, mean, I would need you to remain giddy when something like this happens, yeah. right? Right, that's the, yeah. that's the response yeah. that, that we all should have, man. Like when, when you hear it, a, a buddy of mine from college, uh, I thought he was as near a crisis as you could get. It was a facade. It was something that he put on. And when he called us later on and said, Dude, I have uh, dedicated my life to Christ. I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to preach. And I was like, Aren't you doing that already? And he started in on the stuff that he had been doing. And I mean, I was just grinning ear to ear. I was like, Dude, can you believe this? Can you believe this actually happened? Thinking all along that, that, that he was good, but at the exact same time knowing that, I, you know, you... You have to keep going. You do have to keep And I want you to be excited. <laughs> Scripture wants you to be excited, right? The rejoicing in heaven when one comes to know him. It's beauty. It's beautiful. It really, truly is. So, I, I got to add yeah. one more thing. I mean, I'm so old. I've, <laughs> I've lived it all. You're not allowed to say that in this class, by the way. That's what I'm saying. But I want you to know, when you just said what you said, mm -hmm. Matt, I've had four kids I've had Yeah, no, that, that's good. You should do street witnessing is what you should do. Uh, that, 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 you will have some conversations, right, when that goes on, that's for sure. Yeah, real quick. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. I was a sales manager for 25 years, mm -hmm. and the training was, if you do it well enough, the right outcome will come. Mm. And that was disastrous in terms of my mentality uh -huh. trying to witness. Yeah. And eventually yeah. hearing Pastor Jerry, I realized this is an act of God sovereignly beyond my control. Yeah. But I just encourage one sovereign moment. We keep praying in one sovereign yeah. moment. He can change our children. He can change our families. Yeah. And two sayings I'll, I'll say real quick. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when people came at me, I, I shut down. Yeah. But when they came alongside me, yeah. I opened up. Yeah. So sometimes it's just that first step of showing them that you care about them. Yeah. And they will become open to hearing what you have mm -hmm. to say. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so true. Jack. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's just like it's a privilege for us to do it. Like the Lord, the one doesn't need us to do it. He just allows us the opportunity to do it so that we can experience what the changing of someone's yeah. heart looks like, including our family or whoever it is. Um, and I think of the guy on the cross, like he didn't go under the cross thinking, oh, I'm going to be saved. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, he did not during, right. during this. So I think it's remembering that we have a privilege one and then also knowing that we're sinners. So we're going to fight our own selves and our own insecurities. Yeah to be able to speak to someone about, about Jesus Christ, yeah. but like knowing that we get the privilege to do it should be the driving force of the No, that's, well. that, that's awesome. No, that, that's absolutely right. You find joy in, in, a, in a lot of different things, but seeing, seeing someone come to Christ is, is one of those that is almost unexplainable. It's very, very difficult you know, to explain exactly, you know, obviously, I, I, that's amazing. Just through prayer and everything else that you've seen, that is very true. We're going to roll through this quick here. So define mercy and justice because at that time on the cross, mercy, mercy and justice were displayed. To one, mercy was shown, right? And the definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm, right? So separated by Christ, sinner, somebody is going to hell, show mercy at the exact same time. And then, because Christ is Christ, because God is God, so he shows mercy, he has shown mercy, at the same time, he shows justice. He does. Regardless of how much it hurts people, he does. Because he is just. It's part of his character, which means he's always just, he cannot be unjust, and he defines and sets the standard for justice. It is sometimes unexplainable as to why God does what he does. And, and, and in the truth, right, when we open the Bible, when we look at it, it is, it is written in a way that babes can understand it and we should be able to express it. At the exact same time, there's still stuff in here that's very difficult for you to understand and even speak about because it's well beyond where you are. But one thing that we have to see, and it's clearly represented from six hours one time, is that justice was shown and so was mercy at the exact same time. So as we speak with other people, it's good to know that. It's not your job to show justice, right? That's, you know, it's, it is he who gives the increase, right? It's not your job to go out there and to do those things. It is your job to faithfully proclaim. And we'll look at that in just a second. So those two pieces there, right? So the next lesson here is that victorious grace. And we do have to move just a little bit um, because I want to show you something on the screen. And it works. I did the click thing and it all worked up here. So hopefully it does when, when we get to it. Is that we are similar to the thief, right? Grace is free to all who believe. Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Christ turns away nobody who comes to him. Let the little children come to me, which I always thought was just one of the most beautiful statements, right? Because the coming to Christ and the picture of it. I remember growing up in, in church and watching the cartoons of the children coming to Jesus. And whether it's written down in Scripture or not, you, you see that picture. But after we have done all that we are commanded, planted and watered, right? That it is He that gives the increase and He does as it pleases His sovereign will. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. When you look at that um, passage there, I've planted, planted, I've watered, but after that, God. <laughs> after that, God. It is your job 
to throw the seeds. It is your job to cultivate. It is your job to continuously nonstop, but it is God who gives the increase at all times. Very similar to the thief. As we look at this piece right here, right, Saul becoming Paul on that road, right? What happened on that road, right? It was like shown this bright light. This is paraphrasing, please, not directly. But as we look at this, shown a bright light. And what did he say? Lord, right? The same guy that was like, I can't stand Christians. Take them to prison. Sees a light. God has changed. He has stepped in. He has done this. Changed him completely. And scripture says that immediately he started preaching. Like immediately this guy started rolling through the, the woods and telling people about Jesus, right? Which is pretty amazing. So the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Spent his time preaching everywhere he went to, writing to churches, labored to build up the saints, delivered the gospel. He did all those things. The thief, look at the thief. No good works before or after salvation that are written down that we see in Scripture, right? There was nothing that was good from this man. But he was promised eternity, and then he died. So a man who was separated by Christ called on Christ for salvation, saying, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. But at the exact same time, you've got to look at like 28 minutes ago, the guy was screaming at him. He's like, what in the world is going on? This is stupid. Like, get down from there if you think you're that person. And then we see a little bit later on just the complete flip, the complete change. So if saved at all, if saved at all, we have to be saved by sovereign grace. It has to be the grace of God who stepped in to do this. Remember the story I told you last week is that I would be unable. And I said, I said this in front of my dad one time and said, uh, son, when God tells you to do it, there is nothing that's going to stop you from doing it. But I told you the story about my good friend Tom Hufty and his son, and he was driving off and honking three times, right, and saying, I love you. I remember he said, it, it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave my son. I couldn't send my son to die for other people. I couldn't do that. It had to be somebody else. It had to be. Not only for Scripture to be fulfilled, but because God knows that we are feeble at the exact same time, but He gives us the strength. So, if saved at all, we are saved by sovereign grace. So, I have a video that I want to show you. Um, it's called The Man on the Middle Cross, and this is Alistair Begg who's preaching this. And uh, so give me just a second to bring this up. It's not the entire hour and 19 minute sermon. It is really only three minutes and I might cut it short just for the sake of time. This is really hard to do when you have to look up here. Ethan, maybe one day you can give me a lesson. Stop it. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our vision. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answers in the third person, because he, because he. Now think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You've never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, where you, uh, did, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Then go get the supervisor in. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, 
are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me and us. So, uh, right, I, the first time I heard this, uh, my dad sent it to me, and he sent me the hour and 20 minute one. I was like, Dad, so I'm probably not going to listen to all of that. And he said, well, you should, right? <laughs> it's in depth. But this piece of it, if you, if you hear anything, hear this piece. And, and Alistair, right, a little bit charismatic in the fact that the supervisor angel piece, so don't think that that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but in that regard, when you hear that statement, just as I heard this morning when we sang in Christ alone, is that it is, it is emphatic that it is not you. It is not, because the man on the middle cross said you can come. Now, he proclaimed Christ. He said it, and we'll look at that in just a second. So don't think it was just blah, blah, right? It was said, and we'll look at that, but he proclaimed he proclaimed who he was. He did. And we, we're going to look at that picture in just a second. Let me get this giant thing off of here. And Yep. Oh. Okay. So lesson four, right? Man must come to the end of himself before he can be saved. So let's look at this. The helplessness of man as we walk through this. To learn that we're corrupt people and depraved by nature and sinful transgressors by practice is the first and probably most important lesson that you see. Is that you are separated by Christ because of the nature of who you are. Right? The nature in which you are. We talked about this last week is that children, look at children. Right? They're not born into the world doing good. They are not. Right? I know all these, like, I've seen so many babies. And then my wife tells me there's like nine coming before the next month or whatever. So we should probably blow out that wall, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, but when you look at children, right, you, you see that they have to be taught good. And that is your job, not only as parents, but as people in this church, to preach good and scripture, what it says and how you're supposed to live, and understanding from the beginning that we are corrupt and depraved by nature and sinful people. Utterly undone, Romans 5, 6 and Titus 3, 5 both say in, in just to be straight, will somebody turn to Titus 3, 5 real quick. Romans 5, 6 says this, now hope does not disappoint because of the love God has poured out in his hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It was him because from the beginning it wasn't us, anything in us that could have happened. It had to be poured out unto us. It had to be given. Did somebody get Titus? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the generation of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out. Verse 7 says, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because of Him. Not in the first person, right? This is not me. This is because of Christ. If you rely on yourself, you would not choose God. You wouldn't. Like, it is a fact. If you're separated, if you're dead, you're not going to wake up. You're not. You have to be made alive. And seeing the picture of the thief was made alive. He was dead in his trespasses and sin. He was a transgressor. He was being killed because of what he did. He was being hung on a cross for that very reason. And then boom, right? Seeing everything that had happened, he completely changed. Saved by sovereign grace. Saved completely by sovereign grace. I, uh, for four years when I was in college, I did, um, we did a mission trip each year to Corpus Christi, uh, Texas. 
in partnership with Houston First Baptist Church, Houston's first, uh, changed their name a couple times, but um, what's important is they had a phenomenal outreach ministry. And what we would do, we'd go to the campus, um, uh, Texas A&M campus at Corpus Christi. And so we would walk and, and we had a survey that we would have. And the first three questions, five questions of the survey were issues in the world. You know, what's going on? What do you say? We're, we're getting a survey to try to gather that information. And then at about question five, it started, it asked the question, do you think that of all the examples that you've given, do you think that there's anything that could stop that from happening, right? So it was the turning point in the conversation. And then back into it is like, if the example that you just gave, that that could stop that, what could stop that, right? If you said that there was peace in the world, it would stop everything that was going on. Okay, is there anything that could stop that? Yes, obviously more war, right? And things that were going on, but it was, it was intended to start a conversation with people and to talk with them about what it was that they believed. And I remember standing next to the, the person that I, um, uh, we led the trip with, Danielle, and she, she was phenomenal, like had no fear. Like she would just come straight out and say it. And she, she, I was asking the questions and she's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And it just kept going and going and going. And finally you saw this flip and this individual, when we were talking, they were like, no, absolutely not. No, no. Kept answering no. There's nothing. No, not at all. We started preaching Christ and him crucified. And immediately, his face, his body language, and everything changed. Immediately, he started to see why it was that we were actually there. And he said, oh, no. I don't want anything to do with this. Nope, not at all. That's not for me. Not at all. I don't want anything to do with that. He started walking off and Daniel said, I will pray for you. I don't want you to. It's still going to happen. I want you to know that. It's very, very good at reaching other people. Understanding where you are at and where other people are currently is very important. It's very important for when you're reaching other people and you're talking to them about what it is that you believe. So what was learned from this thief? right? What was learned from himself? What was learned from... In that short amount of time that we see here, and there's seven things that we see, I, I will tell you that as you read the book, seven sayings of the Savior on the cross, uh, there's seven subchapters, and then pretty much every time he gives an example, there's seven examples. So uh, it really took that to heart, that number. Um, but I, I wanted, that's why I cut mine to five and six to try to be different. Didn't work. But uh, come back to this one. And we look at this, but the meaning of repentance and faith and spiritual illumination, right? So I, this, <laughs> some of you are going, we're not going to get to all this. You are right. We are really not. That's for you. For when you leave here to continue to open scripture and to see what it actually means. And this is, these are just a few points as we roll through this. This is something that the thief learned, that his belief that this Christ was not just a man. And you look at verse 40. Do you not fear who? God. Do you not fear God? He didn't say, don't you fear this guy? Don't you fear this guy? No, he said, do you not fear God? That's something that we see there. How dare you revile this innocent man? He was, this is a guy who was like literally doing the same thing this other guy was doing immediately. Just, and all of a sudden, this total change. Belief that Christ wasn't just a man. Second, he had sight of his own sinfulness in verse 40. Another piece of that as it rolls through here. You're under the same condemnation. He recognized that he was a transgressor. He knew that. He saw that. And then we receive justly this due reward. He says it. The thief says it. We're receiving exactly what's going on in the next piece here. This guy hasn't done anything. This one next to us hasn't done a single thing. He bore, he bore testimony of Christ's sinlessness that we see in verse 41 right through there. He's done nothing amiss. He had spotless character. Pilate even said, I don't have anything wrong with him. I don't see anything wrong with him, but pandered to the masses, right? That's exactly what he did. And then Matthew 27, 19, even Pilate's wife said, I have nothing to do with this what? This just man? Don't have anything to do with it? And he still took it to somebody else, and him and Herod apparently played cards together after that, right? God said, it's like, I don't want anything to do with him. You do it. No, you take him back. You do this. I have a feeling that there was laughter that was involved to a man that hung on a tree for the sins of the world. All right, goodness gracious. He bore testimony of Christ's sinlessness in that piece. Number four, he was witness to the sinless humanity of Christ. He was witness to it. Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. He was moved by faith, not by sight. 
He didn't see anything after this happened, right? He died the same. He didn't get to see all the action that came after that. And, and chances are he, he didn't even know all that had happened before. But would it have mattered? Because he still was mad at him. He still screamed. He still cursed. He still didn't want anything to do with it. But then seeing who Christ was, move by faith, not by sight. If you're the king of Jews, right, come down from, your, from there and save yourself. They had any idea what they were doing when they were saying that thing. Because at the exact same time, they're saying, if you're the king of Jews, they were proclaiming to anybody who stood there that he actually was by saying it. And as we learn later into the next five points that we have on here for later on in the month, you'll see a picture of each and every word and how important it actually is and the people that stood there at the cross seeing those things and then fled. And even one of the guards saying, whoa, we messed up. We did something wrong. We truly did. Number five here, we see we be he believed in the saviorhood of, of the Lord Jesus. Verse 34 that we see in that piece that we read last week, right? Father, forgive them. He was the one who was asking for forgiveness. Jesus asked for forgiveness from the Father to the people that were doing, actively doing what was going on. Actively doing that. He believed in the Saviorhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he evidenced his faith in Christ's kingship. In his kingship, verse 42, says that, When thou comest into thy what? Into the kingdom. When you come into thy kingdom. The words that were accounted that we see that Christ spoke while on the cross are seven different sayings. There wasn't a lot of street witnessing that was going on. There wasn't a lot of evidential things that had been happening. There wasn't. There wasn't a lot. It could have been a hotel room with a Bible. But what we see right here is a man going from zero to 60 real fast. I don't want anything to do with you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to, to be a part of it. And then, bam, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Everything. He didn't feel sorry for him, right? He was acknowledging that he was God, that he was Christ. He was not just a man. He was not just a man. He was man, but he was not just a man at the exact same time. And then point seven, he saw beyond the sufferings and to the glory. He saw beyond these physical sufferings and to the glory. I would say that as he hung there, right, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Christ Jesus saying, surely today, surely today you will be with me in paradise. You remember maybe where you were when that happened. And it wasn't a voice, obviously, that happened. But I, I remember multiple conversations that I had with my dad um, upon receiving Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And I will tell you, none of them really ever rung true to me until that one time. And I do not remember where I was. I do not remember the environment. But there is absolutely no way that I would feel the way that I feel and, and preach what it is that I get to preach each and every day to people that are lost and to have conversations if he didn't say, today you'll be with me in paradise. People, this, this Christ that we speak of is not feeble. He was not weak as he hung on the cross. How many people do you know that were praying and sweating blood at the same time and still endured a cat of nine tails and everything that went on, carried a cross for a while and then had somebody else do it for him to take it up the hill? This wasn't by chance. And we could attribute all of this to Scripture because for it to be fulfilled, this had to happen. For it to be fulfilled, this needed to happen. You could chalk it up to that. And that's fine because that's scripture. But what does it do for you when you're telling other people? Because you at one point were on a path to destruction. And some of you may still be. But when you read scripture, and when you are constantly in it, and you use examples of people that went before you, of people that hung with Christ, and saying, I don't want anything to do with it. Hey, that's not for me. I don't want it. And then moved toward Christ. No, I can't tell you how long it will be. I can't. But I will tell you that my personal experience in Jesus and understanding who he is is a long road, truthfully. And you have to daily apply it to yourself so that as you leave here and as you have interactions with other people, that there is no mistake 
when they see you. Sometimes, right, they're like, hey, let's go down another hallway so we don't see that person, right? It really, truly is. And I was talking to my uh, supervisor, her name's Trisha Meinhold. She worked for the Y for 33 years. And she, uh, she said, so why, why are you still in the Y? Like, why do you still want to be here? Because you seem like, you know, when you give a devotion to a, a big group of individuals, we, we, we have an association meeting once a year, or uh, excuse me, once a month, and every once in a while we get to talk. Um, she said, why do, you, why do you still do what you do? And I said, you know, I, I think one of the biggest mission fields that we have is the church, right? It's to stay it's to, for this. This needs to happen, and it needs not to stop. But it's also not just here. It is in your work. It is in the conversations that you have with people every day. It is when you're not supposed to be mad at the person in front of you at a stoplight, right? It is for this reason, this sole purpose alone, so that God is glorified at all times. At all times. And sometimes it's very difficult to see. It is. You can't lie and you can't sugarcoat it, but I promise you, when you open Scripture and you read it, when you read it and when you tell other people about it, you will be battled with multiple things that may go on. But people, church, preach Christ and Him crucified. In five weeks, six weeks from now, we celebrate what we celebrate as Easter, right? And it's not just about the cross. It's not. It's about what we celebrate on that day. Is that because a stone was moved when a man laid inside of it, and he came out unscathed. And now you, church, go tell other people about me and what you saw and why it's true. Move forward from here and you tell other people about Christ. That is the goal. We still have five weeks. Don't leave. If you're going on vacation, cancel it <laughs> or call in. But it's important for us to stay the course, not just in here. And we'll put the notes up. So obviously, we have to miss a week. You miss a week. Just one week. But come back, right? Don't come back to the class. Come back, come back to Scripture. Open it this week. Open it with your family and with your friends and talk about Jesus. That's the importance of this. And understand that people are at a different place. They are. It is your job to continuously preach. And preach to the uttermost. Right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for each and every person that's here. We thank you for writing down Scripture in a way that we can understand it and tell other people about it. We thank you for you being you. We thank you for mercy and justice at the exact same time. We thank you for guidance and pray that you would continuously have it upon our lives, in our families, in our work, each and every day, not only this week, but as we move forward. We thank you again for this church and how we move forward and what we learn. And I pray that you would have that on our hearts as we continue. Father, we love you. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your love and the way that you show it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.